Fiddles and Friends return to the SDPB studios and take the stage tonight at Levitt at the Falls. From South Dakota Public Broadcasting, today is Thursday, July 6th. This is In the Moment. Coming up this hour, Kenny Putnam, Tom Schaefer, and Owen DeYoung rosin up their bows for some live music from SDPB Studios in downtown Sioux Falls. They are surrounded by their musical friends. We'll meet them all in a few moments. Then a look at the All My Relatives Festival this weekend that is also at the Levitt. We'll focus on fashion and meet a designer redefining the art. Plus, thoughts from a South Dakota rodeo cowboy and the chair of the National Endowment for the Arts is in the state. We will meet Dr. Marie Rosario Jackson. That's coming up a bit later in the hour. We're live today from the Leo P. Flynn Gallery in Sioux Falls. You're in the moment. You're listening to In The Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I am your host today, Lori Walsh. We are broadcasting live from the Leo P. Flynn Gallery inside SDPB Studios in downtown Sioux Falls. It is a beautiful East River day, and tonight at the Levitt at 7 p.m. Central Time. And remember, SDPB does live stream the Levitt concert, so if you can't make it downtown Sioux Falls, you can always tune in to the live stream um, it's Fiddles and Friends, and as a special treat, the entire group has made it into the Leo P. Flynn Gallery, <laughs> and I'm so happy to have them all back. We're going to start with a song right away, one song, and then we'll chat with the band a little bit. You can meet um, all the musicians, so I'm going to let you take it away. Fiddles and Friends.
If you're just tuning in, if you are just tuning in, we've got Fiddles and Friends, um, all maybe 10 of you in our Leo P. Flynn Gallery in Sioux Falls. We're going to get to know our fiddlers first. To my left here is the great Owen DeYoung, who worked for SDPB as our classical music host um, and was the first person to really welcome me to South Dakota Public Broadcasting. And uh, you told me not to sing on the air. I remember that still. I never have. And, <laughs> and, you, and you gave me so much wisdom um, and, and assistance. So welcome back to the space. Well, Lori, the honor is mine. Tell me a little bit how long you and Tom and Kenny, for example, have, have known each other. Well, I think I've known Kenny probably the longest in this group. We met in college, and then the rest of them kind of fell into line, and I don't know. I, I could run down the whole list, but it'd take me a while to <laughs> think about them all. So um, this getting back together then, how long has it been since you've all played together? got the band back together. Um, I'm going to walk over here to Tom and uh, ask him that question if I step over chords and try not to uh, get hurt here. Yeah. Tom, getting Hello. back together. Hi, <laughs> Tom Schaefer. Yeah, well, we, uh, I think we, we played last Christmas. We had a Christmas show which, with different material, of course, mostly Christmas stuff. But we've been getting together almost yearly since, I think, uh, maybe 2014 or maybe we did one show in Brandon a long time ago I think that was 2010 so does, does everything snap back in place right away or is it a whole <laughs> Kenny what's the on-ramp like to getting back on together ramp <laughs> is, a, is a long ramp for me um, we just got to work we've done this stuff before but uh, there's new songs we bring in and we just have to review you know and just get the gel back together and it doesn't take that long but it takes uh, one rehearsal for sure how much of the rehearsal is storytelling and catching up, and how much is actually playing music? Well, storytelling lasts, that's later, and we stayed up all night, Tom and I did, and not all night, but anyway, uh, you have to kind of hold it in, because there's a lot of moving parts in this group, and, and so we just kind of kind of keep on the, on the mark to get it done, you know, in an afternoon, so... That's remarkable. We're going to let you play maybe two songs in a row without stopping. You've met our fiddlers, Owen DeYoung, Tom Schaefer, and Kenny Putnam. Some more music, um, and then we'll meet the rest of the band. Take it away. Thank you. 
this next song I'd like just like to mention. This was actually written by Kenny Putnam and the Red Willow Band, and uh, so we'd like to do it for you now. It's called uh, "You Can't Get There From Here." One, two, three. the man how to get there and all he said was move along you're a long long way from where you're going just a few short steps from where you belong
It is summer in South Dakota, and if you're just tuning in, this is In the Moment, Fiddles and Friends in the house with us. I'm standing next to the queen herself, Kaya Bondi. I'm so happy to see you, and an original song written by Kenny Putnam and the Red Willow Band. What is it like to play music with your friends, your husband, I mean, your family, really, all these years? Well, playing music with my husband is um, a blessing and something that we have done all of our lives since the day we met. Singing a song like You Can't Get There From Here from the Red Willow Band is something I grew up with as a kid. Sorry, Kenny, I'm that much younger than you. I'm sorry. But I played that album till I wore it out. And so being able to just sing the harmonies on that song is, yeah, it's a dream come true. I love it. I love it. We are going to take a break. We're going to come back with more from Fiddles and Friends. You're on listener-supported SDPB Radio. Welcome back to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Lori Walsh. We have a wonderful audience in the Leo P. Flynn Gallery today as part of our SDPB studios in downtown Sioux Falls. We are right across the street from Levitt at the Falls, where tonight at 7 p.m., Fiddles and Friends will take the stage, and they are here taking our stage um, Today, I'm just so delighted. And Mike Connor is, we've been introducing the musicians uh, throughout the hour. So Mike is standing to my left. If you're listening on the radio, he's wearing a Badger Clark hat. And uh, I've been writing about Mike and Boyd Bristow and other people who have been generous enough to talk to me about their music and about the arts in South Dakota for a long time. A little bit later in the hour, we're going to hear from the chair of the National Endowment for the Arts. And Mike, I asked her about living an artful life. And when I look at you, I think of the connections and the other artists that you've supported and played with over the year, years. What are the arts? What is the arts community like in South Dakota, especially um, after the pandemic? The kind of changes that we saw and the creativity that you're seeing now. Well, um, you know what pandemic. We, we kept on playing. We didn't necessarily play in, in nightclubs or anything like that, but we did this show, I believe. Uh, and uh, so, you know, it's just our, our arts community here and our music community in South Dakota, pretty close. You know, we know a lot of the people, the younger people even, and um, we just have kept on doing it. And here, here we are. Uh, here I am with the uh, my very best friends and just making music with them. It's just wonderful. Some of that footage, you're in the smaller booth, you're wearing masks. I was broadcasting from home right. during that time. <laughs> so we were tuning in and we were making it work in that yeah, way. That's right. Um, we're going to get to some more music. I'm going to have Larry Rohr, who's in the back row on bass. Most of you know him from South Dakota Public Broadcasting and his long career here and the South Dakota Hall of Fame um, induction, which he gets a, a, this season. Congratulations. Uh, Larry, tell us what you're going to play next and a little bit about how this band has traveled together, perhaps, what it's been like to hit the road. Obviously, logistically, it must be a huge challenge, but... Well, to get along, we have to travel separately. <laughs> no. But actually, we, the originally kind of got together. It was like in 2010. It was a fundraiser for South Dakota Honor Flight. Then the idea came together. Every, each of the fiddlers brought their own band, but then played together. And then it was later on for the inspiration from the friends. Well, why not reassemble the group, feature these three guys playing instrumentals and as uh, on the breaks with the vocalists. I mean, it's uh, playing three fiddles together is kind of a rare thing. They each have their own style. They know each other and they're just really, really good. So yeah, that's kind of how it started. And then about once a year, sometimes twice, we 
because there are probably two dozen bands represented between all the people here, so it's a matter of logistics of whether it'll work. So. Right. Give but us a, what, one or two songs, and go ahead. I'll leave, yeah, I'll leave uh, it with you. Mike, Mike's going to sing here.
Hey, it's Kaya's turn. Mike get his mandolin plugged back in here. I only know a few Patsy songs, something like 27. So um, this is probably her best known song. Everybody ready? much love. Thank you so much for that. Kaya Bondi on vocals and percussion today. Our fiddlers, Owen DeYoung, Tom Schaefer, Kenny Putnam on mandolin and guitar, Mike Connor in the back row, Larry Rohr on bass, Al Raymond on the drum set, Boyd Bristow and Brian Bondi and Nick Schwayback all on guitars. This is Fiddles and Friends and I'm so grateful that you came today. Come back to the Levitt tonight, right across the street from SDPB Studios in downtown Sioux Falls, Levitt at the Falls. 
7 p.m. they begin. Maggie, in the meantime, opens up for them. If you haven't heard Jeff Paul's band, it's amazing. You will have a great time. Food trucks, SDPB will be down there. I'll be there. Uh, stop by our booth and say hello. We're going to take a break. We'll continue with the show. We're going to meet the National Endowment for the Arts chair, who is in South Dakota right now, out West River, and uh, talk about a fashion show and the All My Relations Festival, which is also at the Levitt this weekend. So much happening. We'll go to the rodeo after the break on listener-supported SDPB Radio. You're listening to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Lori Walsh. At the 2023 South Dakota State High School Rodeo in Fort Pierre, the SDPB team caught up with two athletes that share more than a love of the sport, J.J. Elsher and his son, Thane. Father and son both have a good grip on how to ride rough stock. Thane competes in saddle bronc and bull riding, and his dad, J.J., is a five-time national finals rodeo competitor. SDPB's Tim Davison asked Thane about the rodeo circuit, the best advice he's gotten for riding, plus they'll talk a little bit about a tragedy and the feathers that show support for friends and neighbors. Well, it's been going pretty all right. I, I haven't been to too many rodeos, but these high school these high school practice rodeos and regionals went, went all right. Can't, couldn't complain anyways. So There's quite a few practice rodeos just all around South Dakota, but there's two regional rodeos. Uh, one, we went to Buffalo, and that's a two-day rodeo, Saturday and Sunday. And then the next weekend, we go to Dupree for the second regional rodeo. It's another two-day rodeo. But there's quite a few practice rodeos, and then two regional rodeos, and then state and nationals. So riding a riding a bronc, it's well a horse, and you have a you got a saddle and a rein, and you. Hold the rein with one hand and sit in your saddle and nod your head and the horse bucks and try to stay on for eight. While the other hand up in the air, I guess. And riding a bull, it's just you got a rope and bull underneath of you, I guess, and keep your hand in the rope and stay on for eight, hopefully, anyways. I, uh, I started bull riding because I thought it looked really fun. And my dad, he used, to, he used to ride bulls. And I know quite a few people that ride bulls pretty well and thought it looked fun. And, so I decided to do that, and then about my freshman year, I decided I wanted to get on one bronc, just try it out, and Dad, he, he pro-rodeoed in the bronc riding for a while, and thought, you know, I'd have a lot of mentors behind me and to help me out, and just went on from there. Hang on. And if you fall down, get back up and get back on. But there's, they gave me a lot of advice, and, and it just pushed me, pushed me through, so helped me out a lot. Uh, feather, um, it's a, it says Remy on it. Here a little bit ago we had a, we had some pretty close friends lose their daughter to a disease and so just in her honor we, we made some feathers for her and just to represent her and her family and through this rough time so thought I'd be riding for her as we go along this rodeo season. I don't know, I, I just, I think it's really fun you get to come and compete against your buddies and watch your buddies ride and succeed and I think it's just real fun having, getting to do that and getting to be where you love to do and get to be with the people you love to, to do it with. So, 
SDPB wrapped coverage of the South Dakota State Rodeo will begin airing the finals tonight on SDPB 1. That starts at 8 p.m. Central, 7 Mountain. And again, Sunday, July 9th, you can watch at 1 p.m. Central and noon Mountain Time. Now, after you hear Fiddles and Friends at the Levitt at the Falls uh, performance tonight, make sure you head back on Saturday night for a special fashion show. The fashion show will feature the work of three Native American designers and more than 24 models. It is happening at the back of the stage at 2 p.m. Central. Kyrie Dunkley is one of the featured designers, was on the planning committee for the event. She's the main organizer for the show and owns a fashion business called Shining Star Style. She's with me in the Kirby Family Studio in Sioux Falls. Kyrie, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. How long have you been, just first of all, even sewing and making and creating, and then we'll get into you know, the fashion aspect of your life? Well, uh, sewing and um, power culture are hand in hand. Uh, that's been a part of my life, I would say, since I was a little girl. Um, sewing itself, I didn't really dabble into until I, I started becoming a mother. Um, that was important to me to create things that my son could wear in the power world. Uh, so that was about uh, 2015. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about when that became a business for you, when you became um, aware that you had something to offer other people besides yourself and your own family and your own creative uh, expression. Right. It, it grew uh, past a hobby during covid um, I was no longer at the Multicultural Center for the Native Youth Program, and that took place after school on Fridays. Um, so my creativeness just grew during that time, and I decided to um, create more than just myself and my family. Tell me a little bit about designing for movement, because in powwow culture, that would be so important. But it's important in all of fashion to think how something is going to be worn, used, and how it will move. There's a, a lot of thinking ahead when you're creating something. It's it's not just, you know, pulling out some fabric and laying it down and just sewing up the sides. You have to think ahead of the measurements, what it's going to look like on that person. And not only that, but what it says to you, like what the vibe is, what the representation is, what what the feeling is that you're going to put out there into someone else. Yeah. What distinguishes your work then? When someone looks at it, how do they know it's yours? For me, I would say I'm, I kind of lean towards the shininess. I like the, the brightness. I like um, certain colors side by side. I like um, having indigenous representation in my fabrics. I um, like to buy the 49 design fabrics that come from Canada and they're created um, by an artist up there that is manufactured there, and it's shipped here. Um, I like buying from the family-owned businesses like Family Affair LLC. They have a store in Sistin. Um, there's Fire Mountain Supply in uh, Minneapolis, Bloomington. And I, I just like supporting other indigenous creatives, not yeah. just a sewing artist. I'm a supporter of the manufacturers, the suppliers. What does it mean then when someone wears a design and it is um, sourced responsibly or ethically, it's indigenous made, it's designed for you, for your body, if it's you know tailored to you? How is that different from wearing something off the rack? It has a story behind it. It has meaning. It has a different kind of energy to it, um, knowing who made that and where it came from, 
also has meaning to yourself, you know, knowing where you are and who you came from, that that all has an empowerment in itself, um, just an identity. What is your response to fashion designers who are non-Native, who use Native cultures as inspiration for their designs? When you, If you're in conversation with somebody like that, what would you want them to sort of pause and, and think about more deeply? There, there is a difference between um, appropriation and appreciation. You can buy from native and native designed artists, native designed fabrics. You can buy native owned products, and that's the appreciation. You're appreciating that designer who took the time to do that. The appropriation is where you're basically what you're referring to is replicating something that doesn't belong to you. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about these events this weekend, the, the, the festival broadly, and then we'll get into why you thought it was really um, meaningful to bring in a fashion show. But what's all going on this weekend? It's, it's a big event, the All My Relatives um, Festival. Festival, yeah. Correct. On Friday, um, there's going to be Frank Wallen. He's coming Friday night. Um, there's also going to be an art show at the... Uh, the underground okay. and then there's also going to be a modeling workshop that's taking place at the Levitt office and all the models that applied will be arriving there for the dress rehearsal and then um, I believe a drum circle is going to open up for Frank Wallen and some flags will be brought in and Saturday will be uh, Jackie Bird she'll be doing a performance uh, that morning, and then they're also uh, the after school network will be in the parking lot. There will be vendors and informational booths at Startup Sioux Falls. Um, the fashion show doesn't start till two, but we'll be there prepping for the show. Um, right afterwards, there'll be a meet and greet from approximately three to four p.m. That'll be at Startup Sioux Falls. Uh, also, the opportunity to uh, buy anything that you see off the models and. Uh, later that night, there will be Indigenous. Yeah, Indigenous. So that's going to be a big crowd. Come and park early, stay the day. Uh, the underground is right across from the Levitt in the Rayfield Gallery downstairs. Um, obviously, you can find all this at levittsufalls.org slash allmyrelatives. We'll also put a link up on our website at stpb.org slash news. Shine and Star Style. Tell me where people can find that if they're not going to make it to the fashion show, but they want to see your work and learn more about it. You can go to my website, shiningstarstyle.com, and that's without the letter G. Or you could also uh, stop in to Sweetgrass Soapery. She also features some of my ribbon skirts and ribbon shirts. I haven't been in there yet. That's right downtown from here, and I always drive by. Stop by, huh? Go to your local, <laughs> go to your local businesses. Um, what inspires you next? Um, are there things that you're pulling inspiration from this summer that you look forward to how they're going to show up in your designs in the future? What I'm pulling from right now is the 40 de 49 design fabrics that are coming from Canada. Yeah. Um, I really admire um, the beauty and the artwork that is printed onto those fabrics, and it's being generated across uh, not only South Dakota, but even Minneapolis and Minnesota and all the Midwestern area, and um, I just love the availability of indigenous-made fabrics that are coming more about. Um, 
possibly in the future, that could be something I dabble into. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's a whole nother area to think about. Kyrie Dunkley, thank you so much. Shine and Star Style. Um, again, we'll put links up on our website, but we really appreciate you stopping by. Have a wonderful time at the festival this weekend. Thank you. All right, Dr. Maria Rosario Jackson is the chair of the National Endowment for the Arts. She is currently in the middle of a three-day visit to South Dakota, and I talked with her yesterday. She was in between stops at the Dahl Art Center in Rapid City and a trip to the Pine Ridge Reservation. The main focus of her visit is to explore all the ways South Dakota is filled with art, and our conversation covered how we as individuals can also lead an artful life. Let's listen. So tell me how you think about these local visits in a way that in turn impacts the work that you do at the federal level when you get back to the office. Oh, these local visits are so important. Um, You know, in order for us to do our best work, we really need to be in touch with arts organizations and artists that are working in all parts of the country. And we need to be able to understand the specific contexts in which they're working. So being uh, this close to um, people who are doing work in this region is really important. We're very much looking forward to learning, to listening, uh, certainly to sharing some of the things that we're up to uh, at the national level, but really it is about taking it in. Um, And uh, for myself and the staff who, who has come with me, um, to, to learn uh, about what's happening here and also to learn about the wisdom that's embedded in so many of the communities in this region. Do you find universal themes when you go to different places? Are there things that are universal? Are there things that are totally unique to a tribe or a community, for example? Yes, I think... Um, I think that there are things that are universal that have to do with uh, all of us coming out of a period of time where we've had to uh, pause and reimagine how we do our work as we come out of a global pandemic um, and try to figure out what next looks like. I think that's pretty universal. Um, there's some things that are really specific and uh, special about particular communities, and I heard some of that already, in, in the, even at the top of the visit this afternoon in conversation with, with some of your artists and arts and community leaders here. Well, how are we doing? Did the pandemic uh, revitalize purpose and meaning for artists, or did it uh, just accelerate burnout? I think it's a mixed story. I mean, I certainly heard um, in conversations here uh, evidence of the pandemic being a time uh, where people really had to uh, ask critical questions about what is essential, um, what is mission, what is purpose, uh, what is the work that needs to persist. There are now questions among some that have to do with pivoting and what does it mean to work differently. Uh, So I think um, here here, here, um, it's a mix of stories. I think the same thing is true across the country, that, that there are there's a mixed response to your question. I want to ask you about your vision for living 
an artful life. So the artists helped us get through the pandemic, but at the same time, I think many of us learned the value of making, of creating in our own life. So that's something you've thought deeply about. Tell me about your aesthetic. Yeah, the idea of an artful life, I think, is is an elastic concept that um, makes space for... Um, a range of uh, ways in which we engage with art and culture. Uh, and it's it's not only about a default notion of uh, experiencing art through audience or consumption, although, of course, that's an important part, but it's also about making, doing, teaching, learning, uh, and doing so because it's part of what makes us healthy and whole. Mm. It's part of how we express our humanity. And uh, the notion of artful lives really does, I think, embrace the idea that the arts have to be embedded in our communities, in our daily lived experience. Um, There has to be work at the intersection of arts and what we may think of as other fields, like education or community development or health. Um, in fact, the work that, that we aspire to in health, in community development, in education, we can't do our best work without the arts. Uh, so the notion that it is at its best inextricable from uh, these other realms of policy and practice, I think, is really important. You also say that process can be as important or more important, maybe, than product. I would love to hear more of your thoughts about that. Yeah, that's a you know, that's a concept that I, I believe in strongly. And I know it's sometimes it's hard to grasp because I think we're conditioned to think about the thing that is valuable as the um, material thing at the end of a process. And of course, uh, art products have value without question. I'm not I'm not a, in any way. Um, taking away from that. I think, though, in not uh, reflecting on the value of being in creative process, we're missing a big piece of the story, right? So, so much of what we understand as being connected to health and healing actually has to do with being in that creative process, with the making of something, with the experiencing of... of, uh, of something that is beyond only consumption. Um, So I think both are important. I think too often we don't think about the value that we need to place on having creative process as part of a healthy existence. Artists have many different relationships with the public. An art piece or performance can entertain or it can be provocative and challenging. I'm wondering, in a divided time, how you see the role of artists as they intersect in the political arena? I think that, you know, at at their best, particularly in a context um, as we're experiencing now, artists make us curious about different points of view. And they, uh, they allow us to see things from different perspectives or perspectives, plural. Um, I think that 
through the arts, we're able to engage people intellectually, emotionally, and physically, which is what's necessary to actually have a breakthrough, um, to get unstuck. And I think artists have such an important role to play in helping us get unstuck, helping us see our common humanity, uh, understand our similarities and our meaningful differences. Um, and I think if we don't figure out how, what artists have to offer, what we need to experience as creative beings, how this is essential to getting us to a more humane level, um, a more effective way of caring for each other. I think we're 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 in we're in bad shape if we don't figure that out. Well, we thank you for helping us figure it out and for coming to our state to listen to the ways that we are figuring those things out. You have been patient and kind and incredibly um, wise and insightful. We really thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. It really is an honor to be here with you. On tomorrow's In the Moment, learn more about the research happening beneath your Feet. It is time for the annual Community Science Festival known as Neutrino Day. SDPB's Kara Hetland goes underground at the Sanford Underground Research Facility to bring you the science, the art, and the latest updates from the 4850 level deep underground. From all of us at South Dakota Public Broadcasting, a special thanks to Kevin Patton today and uh, Colton Nicholson and Brian Howlett and everybody who helped us put this live show in the studio on air. From all of us at South Dakota Public Broadcasting, I'm Lori Walsh. Thank you for listening. <laughs>